This is the Oklahoma Talking Company. AMA Flat Track Motorcycle Racing returns to Oklahoma City. NHRA Pro Stock Bike Team Sea Stars. And F1 Racing gets a flock of seagulls. All this and more on this week's Power Sports Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Power Sports Podcast. I am Jason Baffrey, and I am joined in studio at the Oklahoma Talking Company by the motorcycle wizard himself, the master of Colvin Motorcycle Company, Eric Colvin. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. And this is the Power Sports Podcast, an all-new show here at Oklahoma Talking Company. And uh, just to give you a little bit of background on what the show is and and what we're all about, I have a uh, long history in the world of motorsports as a driver and broadcaster and uh, being involved with tracks and a whole lot more. And Eric is a longtime motorcycle builder and racer and motorsports aficionado. And uh, we ran into each other, and I've been wanting to do a show on motorsports uh, for quite some time, and it just seemed like the timing was right. And so here we are with the Power Sports Podcast, and here you will hear a little bit about uh, motorcycles, motorcycle racing, motorsports in general, because we like uh, four wheels and two wheels and even some three wheels every now and then, and, uh, and a whole lot more. And we're going to talk a little bit of the industry news And we'll talk uh, some technical stuff, too, because Eric is a technical guy. He builds motorcycles. He knows what you need to do to work on your motorcycle. So we're going to bring you that information as well. Uh, Anything you'd like to add to that, Eric? No? Nothing? Nothing at all? (laughs) (laughs) I would like to add that I think that that the opportunity – is great that we're going to be able to spread a lot of motorsports information in the state of Oklahoma. I think it's been very lacking in the past few years. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit about some local Oklahoma stuff because that's where we are based. We're in Oklahoma City, but we're also going to get into the National Series as well because obviously there's a lot of racing going on out there on both two wheels and four wheels, and and we follow that. So it's a good opportunity for us to talk about it and share kind of our opinion and uh, expertise as we go through that. But we are very excited because this weekend, Eric, AMA Flat Track Racing comes back to Oklahoma City for the first time since, what, the early 90s? It has to be the 90s. And before that, it was over a decade. It was, I want to say, the mid-70s, the last time that they were even at Oklahoma City Fairgrounds. Yeah, I think it was actually uh, maybe early 80s. Maybe it was 70s. I don't know. I was young at that time. But I remember the Camel Pro Series coming to to the fairgrounds back in the day and uh, and seeing that come and, come and go. But uh, you were involved um most recently with with bringing some events to town um, back in the 90s, right? This is true. Uh, we brought a mile event uh, to Will Rogers Downs uh, here in Oklahoma, and we had a hot shoe national there on the mile. We had a uh, national there on the mile, and we had a vintage national there on the mile. 
Yeah, very cool. So this weekend coming up, uh, June eighteenth, it's Father's Day weekend. We are uh, it's the the week before that right now when we are recording this. But uh, the GNC one and GNC two stars of the AMA are coming to town, and uh, interesting that Brian Smith and his Kawasaki six fifty are coming off of three in a row wins uh, on mile tracks. And he is looking absolutely dominant as he comes into Oklahoma City this weekend. However, Jared Meese, the defending AMA GNC1 champion, is coming off of a win at the X Games down on the half mile off the Circuit of the Americas. So who's got the most momentum coming into this event, do you think, Eric? I'm thinking the Kawasaki. Uh, I like the diversity of the brands that's out there now. They've had a lot of development with that motorcycle. Uh, They've proven their development with that motorcycle. So I actually look... I look to see something really good out of those guys. Yeah. In in a time where, I mean, the XR750 from Harley-Davidson has been pretty much the dominant motorcycle in flat track, track racing for a number of years now, um, to see this Kawasaki come out, and, and Smith did very well last year. Uh, he's known for being a mile guy, and that bike works extremely well on the mile. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here on the mile at Remington Park in Oklahoma City on Saturday. It is. And I'd also like to, to make mention that it's interesting that never before in the new millennium and prior to the new millennium, probably the 60s and the 70s, that there's been such a diversity of brands of motorcycles. You've got uh, the Honda is back. Honda hasn't been involved in dirt track racing since, what, the late 80s, early 90s? Yeah. Um, So we've got Honda back. Yamaha is back in it. And if you'll remember in the 70s, especially with Roberts, but not just Roberts, but uh, several other riders that rode a lot of the XS650 based stuff, a Mm -hmm. lot of the the DT250 air-cooled Yamaha stuff, mm-hmm. the two-valve 500 Yamaha stuff. Yeah. Uh, Yamaha's back. Yeah, um, and they have the, the DT07, which has been uh, – they've been making some steady improvements with that bike. Um, and, and, I mean, finished in the top 10, if I'm not mistaken, at the uh, the Springfield mile. This is true. And, you know, Harley-Davidson is trying to build a more of a production-type racer with the 750 that they have now. Yeah, Davis Fisher, the uh, defending GNC2 champion, will be here. He's in GNC1 now, and he debuted kind of the stealth bike uh, a few races ago, and then they came out with the official announcement just before the Springfield Mile, the uh, XG750, the new water-cooled entry from Harley-Davidson. So there's going to be a lot of eyes on that bike. And he rode really well. He finished top 10 in Springfield as well. And I know they're getting help from the Vance and Hines team. Um, Terry Vance, Matt Hines, uh, former Pro Stock Bike Champion in NHRA, Matt Hines, who's doing a lot of behind-the-scenes work now. He was there at that event. So, um, you know, Vance and Hines, known for performance. They've got a lot going on with the the new Harley-Davidson XG750 and their relationship there. This is true. And seems like Vance and Hines has become the the leading R&D entity for Harley-Davidson now. Um, of course, they've shown that they're capable of, of building excellent equipment for drag racing. Yeah. Matt, uh, Matt's brother, uh, Andrew, multi-time NHRA champion now, as well as his teammate, Eddie Krawick. And uh, that kind of leads us into a little bit of NHRA talk. And I mentioned it at the top of the show, but it was not the Harley-Davidson. It was one of the Buell bikes by Star Racing 
that was back in the winner's circle at the NHRA event this past weekend. And Angel Sealing, three-time NHRA champion, had not been to the winner's circle since 2007. And she rejoined with the Star Racing team last year in 2015. Um, they had minimal success but never got to the winner's circle. But now she is back, and the champ is back, and there was a lot of excitement around that. And uh, I, I know they talked about uh, her daughter. She has a five-year-old daughter now. Her daughter had never seen her win a race, and now she's finally seen her mom win a race. So it's really cool. Um I'm fortunate to to know uh, Angel and George Bryce of Star Racing uh, pretty well. Used to hang out with them quite a bit. Actually went to the Pro Stock Motorcycle School that uh, George does with Angel's help, or at least at the time that I went through, Angel was helping with that uh, through the Hank Frank Holly Drag Racing School. So great people. Uh, George Bryce, long time history in drag racing, a lot of success with uh, the late John Myers, former champion, and uh, lots of other riders, and Angel, and it's good to see that crew back in the winter circle this past weekend. I like to see a lot more uh, teams come into a lot of the sports. It seemed like that a lot of the racing was getting pretty thin for a while, and it's nice to see Bryce back, and it's actually nice to see Angel back. Um, I think that it's it. It's good for the sport, you know, have a, a woman come in and give them a run for their money. Yeah, and there's a, quite a few uh, female pro-stock bike riders now. Was, and then, of course, you know, within, within the NHRA, a lot more ladies involved now. You have former uh, pro-stock car champion Erica Enders, uh, Erica Enders-Stevens, I'm sorry, and, uh, of course, Alexis DeJoria. You have the Force Girls uh, in, in the Nitro ranks. And, uh, you know, if you want to talk about diversity in motorsports, you don't really have to go much further than NHRA, and that's one of the great things they have going for them, along with, you know, the most powerful drag racing vehicles in the world. It's pretty neat when you have two cars on the starting line that have as much horsepower as an entire field of race cars. Yeah, absolutely. So some of the other racing that took pass, uh, took place this past weekend, uh, Eric and I are both really into the uh, Speedway GP bikes, which is not that big, certainly not in Oklahoma or in the United States unless you're in California, but it's a European series. If you're not familiar with the Speedway GP series, I encourage you to check it out. It is some of the most exciting racing that you will ever watch. Uh, four motorcycles, four laps, as hard as you can go, no brakes, um, no gears, no gears, and they are sliding sideways the whole way around, and it is incredible racing. And we have one American that competes in that series, and he's a three-time champion. That's Greg Hancock, otherwise known as Grin. And uh, Grin had a great weekend. He had uh, they run uh, twenty heat races, and so all the riders go through these series of heat races and s- accumulate points throughout those heat races. And Greg Hancock. Uh, won three, finished second in one, went into the semifinals as the points leader, and then in his semifinal got pushed wide and got into the air fence. Fortunately, did not completely crash, but unfortunately lost his position. He was running in second. The top two transfer out of the semifinals to go to the final. Uh, He was not able to transfer out of the final. But we did see a first-time winner in Speedway GP racing, Eric. This is true, and everybody always likes to see a first-time winner. Uh, He's been at it for my understanding for quite a long time like you said a lot of the coverage is is limited and so you're trying to keep up on the web which actually is a is a great way now uh in the beginning when i really 
got exposed to Speedway and got hooked on it. Um, you had Cycle. You had uh, Cycle News. Um, and every once in a while, if anybody will remember, you had Wide World of Sports. Yeah. That would show it. Um, so it's been a little bit challenging to, to keep up with – I believe they call him Magic. Yeah, they call him Magic Janowski. Um, I wouldn't try to attempt his, his the actual pronunciation of his first name, but uh, picked up his first win. Uh, Ty Woffenden, the defending Speedway Grand Prix champion from uh, Great Britain, was second. And then Chris Holder, I believe, was third. Uh, with the way the points work, Ty Woffenden is now leading the point series. But that, I mean, we're talking like – a two-point spread from first to fifth, and Greg Hancock, the American, is now sitting in fifth position in the the Speedway Grand Prix points after three events. It also might be worth mentioning that Hancock is in his late 40s now. Yeah, I think he just turned 46, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're correct. There's hope for me. (laughs) And I think the closest guy to him is early 30s? Yeah, could be. I'm not sure, but... uh, Absolutely. If you get the opportunity, what's really cool is they live stream those events for uh, no cost on YouTube. And so you can you can look at SpeedwayGP.com, check out the events, uh, see some videos on YouTube, and then watch the live stream when the, the events happen live as they come up here in 2016. This event here, if you get a chance, check it out. It will keep you right on the edge of your seat the whole time, from the time the gate goes up until the finish. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about some of the difference because, I mean, Speedway used to be more prominent in the United States, and uh, but flat track is is known as one of the earliest forms of racing in the U.S. It, it, it was really popular in the 60s and 70s and early 80s. It kind of died out, and now we're seeing a resurgence in flat track racing we are and you know there was there was a resurgence in the 80s like you said for a short amount of time and then it it sort of got a little flat for a while um speedway here in oklahoma uh, i'm not so sure about tulsa but in oklahoma city there was a place called limestone run and over off of council and I remember my father taking me and really liking it and wanting to do it. Um, Unfortunately, by the time that I was old enough to actually ride one of the motorcycles, it had gone by the wayside. And I think the reason is because of how how much of a specialty motorcycle that is. If you buy a Speedway bike or if you have a flat track motorcycle, that's all you can do with it. It's not like a dirt bike, mm-hmm. uh, let's say like a, a CRF or something, where you can ride arena cross and you can ride outdoor motocross and you can play ride on it. We can ride cross countries. We can ride enduros. Um, so possibly that right there could have had something to do with it. Yeah. Well, they're pretty impressive machines, uh, 500cc, four strokes in, I mean, what looks like a bicycle frame almost. They don't look like any other kind of motorcycle, the Speedway bikes. They look like a Schwinn with a big motor in it. (laughs) And they make about, I have a a pair of them that I play with, and they make about 75 horsepower and they weigh below 200 pounds. Yeah, they're amazing. Um, You mentioned a little bit about dirt bike riding and motocross and super truck cross. We haven't even got into that yet. The the Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Series was off this weekend, but the big news coming out of the Pro Motocross Series is um, a couple of weeks ago at the event in Colorado, defending champion and coming off of his 2016 Supercross Championship, Ryan Dungey 
out with a back injury. He had what didn't appear to be that big of a fall uh, in the first moto in Colorado, but uh, and managed to finish out the day and uh, believe finished second in the overall. But once they got him back, got him checked out, he's now going to be out six to eight weeks with a back injury. So uh, a devastating blow there to the KTM Red Bull team and the defending champion. He is for sure the driving force behind that Red Bull team. Oh, yeah. And it it's absolutely mind-boggling how to view an accident from the outside, um, thinking that uh, it just doesn't seem that hard. And I'm with you. It just didn't seem like that big of a get-off. But the amount of force that is put on a rider in an outdoor motocross event uh, is pretty substantial. Uh, the way the suspension is set up, the horsepower that they're making now, the speeds that they're carrying, which they've never carried before, what in essence seems like a mild get-off in a lot of instances isn't. Yeah. So the the dominant force in outdoor motocross right now is Ken Roxon, the German rider who rides for the um, – RCH Racing Team, uh, Ricky Carmichael and Kerry Hart's team, uh, the Jimmy John Suzuki team. And he has won all but one moto so far in three events in the Outdoor Motocross Series. So in the 450 class, he is the man to beat. And really, Dungy has been the only guy that's even been been close to him uh, as far as the kind of pace that he's carried throughout the motos. In uh, in the uh, 250 category, we're seeing some some great racing with the Yamaha Yamalube Star Team, and uh, and then Joey Savacci on the Pro Circuit Kawasaki. And uh, Savacci got the overall win in Colorado, but it is uh, Jeremy Martin, Alex Martin, and uh, Cooper Webb from the Star Racing Team that are all right there, and they're they're jockeying for positions. And there's been some great racing in the 250 category so far in outdoor pro motocross within three events. And, you know, it's really good to see a really tight series. I think that it's good for the fans. I think that it's good for a lot of the promoters and the sponsors. And it just goes to show how how competitive this series is. When you have that many riders that are so close, you have some of those teams that actually, in the scheme of things, are sort of a medium-sized team and not a very, very huge, large-backed team. Yeah. And they're right there with them. Yeah, and uh, you know we're fortunate. We have several Oklahomans that are competing. Of course, Trey Kennard in the 450 category. Uh, we mentioned the Red Bull KTM team. Trey rides for the Honda HRC team. I have seen some rumors floating around online that he could be potentially moving teams for 2017. It'll be interesting to see where he lands, but the Red Bull KTM team was one of those teams that I've seen mentioned that he could be a possible uh, second rider to Dungey uh, over there, and uh, it'll be interesting to see where the rider from Edmond, Oklahoma lands in 2017. But right now, he's been riding great. I mean, he struggled all season long in Supercross with his starts, and uh, I th- he got one, he got the whole shot in one of the motos in Colorado, and his starts have been phenomenal in the outdoor series. I think that that the team is taking the time and the effort to work with him wherever his shortcomings are then they take the rider and the equipment and what do we need to change and how do we need to fix this yeah well let's take some time now and move into some industry news eric and uh 
we've uh, got an article that we've been looking at and it shows some surprising things on uh, who's been taking care of the customers in the motorcycle dealerships. This is true. It seems that for three years in a row that the Ducati dealerships uh, across the United States as a whole have done a much better job of customer service, bike sales, uh, support after the sale, um, across the board, just a much better job of selling motorcycles than any of the other manufacturers in industry. It's surprising that Ducati, which is, you know, a name that is, you know, the average motorcycle guy may not necessarily think Ducati, uh, you know, that's kind of the upper end of motorcycle, almost specialty built, of course, Italian. And for them to achieve uh, a, a record, if you will, like that is pretty phenomenal. It is. And, you know, in the power sports industry, there's been a lot of, of marketing research done on on millennials, and it's it's absolutely amazing that the X Gen, which is what I'm considered, um, and the millennials, as far as their likes, um, of course, when I was growing up, the most high tech thing would have been asteroids. It was like <laughs> even pre Pac Man or Pong or something. Yeah, but. Uh, everybody liked a lot of the special built stuff at the time I was growing up. There were huge amounts of specialty motorcycle companies that were building special motorcycles. Um, so I think that the, that we've had a tipping point and the millennials want that and they like that. They want something that is different and they want something that is special. They want something that's not vanilla, that if they go riding somewhere that there's not 25 others of these other motorcycles. And the European companies have always been that first and foremost. The Japanese market, uh, to their credit, have done an excellent job of mass production. They've made a very good product that was very easy to obtain and be very affordable. And the European market has always been about performance and it's always been about specialty items. And uh, I think that the European market has finally got all of their ducks in a row, as we might say, and have managed to bring the best of both worlds. And I think that this interview uh, and stats here on this reflects that. Yeah. Speaking of the specialty market, let's talk UTVs a little bit. And uh, a recent study has shown that Polaris is really dominating the market in the UT UTV industry. This is true. And you know, it seems a lot of people seem to think that that is kind of surprising, and for me it doesn't. Polaris has always taken a standpoint of, of research and development, and for myself, sometimes I think a little excessive. Uh, but with the stats that are being showed now, it seems like that that is a formula for success. They have a more diverse product line than anybody else out there. Yeah. For those listeners that may be listening uh, that are purely motorsports fan, they're listening for motorcycle racing, car racing, and may not be familiar with a UTV, explain just real briefly what a UTV is. A UTV basically is a ATV motorcycle that you sit in like a dune buggy, um, steer with the steering wheel. There's obviously two seaters and there are four seaters. Mm -hmm. uh, I look for industry to come up with more seating than that. Um, they have sport vehicles, which is more like a tube frame dune buggy, mm -hmm. but then they have utility vehicles for hunting and for job sites and a actually agricultural. Yeah, the John needs. Deere Gator comes to mind as one of the early versions, I think, of a. That is a workhorse in yeah. and of itself, but you know, Kawasaki has the mule yeah. that, that uh, 
like the little pickup. Right. Um, and there are sprayers and there are brush hogs and there are trailers. And so for their size, they pull a huge amount of weight for their size. They're very useful. Um, a lot of people use them on the farm during the week or for their job during the week and then go hunting or fishing or recreational driving with them on the weekend. So they're actually a very versatile vehicle. Yeah. And it doesn't really surprise me that Polaris is the dominant factor there. Uh, It seems that they are one of the primary builders of the performance market in the UTVs. Although now we're seeing Yamaha, they've recently released a new performance-based UTV. So um, I think they only it only showed them as having five percent of the market. I would expect that that would increase with the you know them having a work vehicle and a performance based vehicle as well. I look for that to to change in the coming years. Uh, I think it will depend on how reliable and uh, the Yamaha product is. Uh, ease of service. Um, most of the people that have. UTVs, that customer base, rely heavily on dealers. So I think that's going to have a large part to do with it. Polaris uh, has an extreme reputation uh, on customer service, customer support, um, after-sales support, um, accessories, uh, aftermarket and factory accessories. So I think that Yamaha has the capabilities of filling that market Uh, It's just new, and it'll be interesting to see where they go. Yeah. Back into racing just a little bit, because we talked about something off the top of the show, and we haven't gotten to it yet, but let's talk a little bit of Formula One racing. And uh, you had a chance to watch the event, I think, and and I didn't, but I saw the results. Lewis Hamilton came out on top, but the the big thing, uh, the really big thing that happened out of the Formula One event is seagulls. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they had a they had some seagulls that were trying to dive bomb the Formula One cars, and I think that, that well, they always need more obstacles in Formula One, as far as I'm concerned. This is true. This is true, yeah. and, and they had a lot of live obstacles. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Lewis Hamilton, the Williams Racing Team, Mercedes uh, picking up the win. Sebastian Vettel finished second, and. Uh, I think Hamilton just kind of went right through the seagulls, and Vettel was trying to trying save to save seag- save seagulls more than win the race. Is that about what happened? It appeared to be that way, yeah, from the camera angles that we had. And uh, afterwards, of course, they were where they have the drivers meet, the top three drivers meet. They were talking talking about all of the dodging of the of the bird life there. Yeah. So uh, very interesting elements to the Formula One series. Uh, in other four-wheeled racing over the weekend, Joey Logano won the NASCAR race in Michigan. Uh, you can probably find NASCAR information almost anywhere on podcast, radio, television, or uh, anywhere you look. So we won't go into great detail about that. Uh, the NHRA uh, Mellow Yellow series, uh, they were in uh, Englishtown this past weekend. And Steve Torrance winning Top Fuel, Ron Caps in his Napa Dodge won Funny Car, and Greg Anderson in Pro Stock in his Summit KB Racing uh, Pro Stock Camaro. So uh, those are the the highlights from the four-wheeled racing teams. And then Donnie Schatz won World of Outlaws over the weekend. Donnie Schatz is got to be one of the premier drivers. He's like the the Schumachers and the Wolfgangs, like 
that I grew up watching. Yeah, I mean, you talk about uh, Steve Kinzer being in his, uh, you know, has now kind of retired for the most part, uh, still doing some driving, but not on the, the full series. But, you know, Donnie Schatz has been a uh, multi-time champion, has really picked up the mantle uh, that Steve Kinzer carried for so many years as being a dominant force. And, of course, he has the backing of the Tony Stewart racing team, and uh, but just a phenomenal driver when it comes to sprint cars. He is. He's very talented, and um, that team puts a lot of effort into setting up the cars and to testing with the cars, and they've got a lot of, of uh, experience in that team, a lot of very old experience in that team. And I think that it's starting – it's not just now starting to show through, but I believe that uh, the dominance that he has is because of that experience and the support. Not only is he a very talented driver, but – his team has the ability to set that car up wherever they go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the World of Outlaws series, I mean, they run a, a ton of races. Uh, what is it, 160 racers or, I don't know, something crazy that they, they do across the, the it nation. It is unbelievable the amount of car races those guys do in a year. Yeah, they, uh, they are certainly road warriors, so... Uh, We'll try to keep you up to date with some of the action there in the World of Outlaws series and um, as far as the sprint cars are concerned. And, of course, we're going to try to get into some local racing, too, around Oklahoma uh, as we as we move along as well. But uh, if you're a motorcycle rider, uh, you know, the time is right to get out and ride the country roads or ride the highways and get out and have some fun, enjoy the weather. I mean, the last couple of weeks here in Oklahoma have been great, uh, great opportunities to get out and ride. And if you want to get out and ride, you want to make sure that you have the right setup for your bike. So we're going to take a moment here to get into a little technical specifications. And uh, Eric is going to talk about your summer setup for your motorcycle. Well, let's just be very, very quick and and to the point with this. Uh, We've had motorcycles that have set over the winter, correct? Most of the time there is not a lot of riding that's done in the wintertime by most people. So let's look at tires and tire pressure. Mm-hmm. Let's look at oil levels, but let's also talk about the oil. When was the last time that you changed it? Do we need to change the oil? Has it been a long time? Okay. Let's talk about the battery. Is it low? If we kept it on a battery tender, if we not kept it on a battery tender, um, if we haven't, uh, if you charge the battery and ride someplace and the battery is weak and you're having a lot of fun and you come out and you hit the button and it doesn't start, that's going to make you happy. Obviously. <laughs> uh, the tires, are they worn? Did you really need to replace them last riding season and thought, oh, I'll worry about it this year and the bug has got you and you're going to ride on these tires that are cupped or bald. And uh, another issue that a lot of people seem to not worry about until they hear the grinding noise is the brake pads. When's the last time you checked your brake pads? When's the last time you checked the coolant? Just a few, just a little bit of time, check out a few of the high points there, see where the motorcycle's at, address those issues, and you should have a really nice riding summer. Yeah, and it's something that, you know, because they're, especially in this part of the country, we don't get to ride that much, and so you, you ride through the summer months, you put it up for the winter time, and then you kind of forget about things if you don't take care of them before the winter or when you first put your bike up or winterize it. Um, but there, you, need, you need to go over all of those things when you get the bike back out, and, and certainly if there are things that you've left unattended for a while and you think back and go, well, you know what, it was 2013 when I you know last checked the brake pads or something like that, it's probably time to do it. This is true. Uh, And a lot of people ask me the same thing all of the time, and it's amazing uh, some of the things that are overlooked. But I tell everybody that 
if you have the owner's manual for the bike, look at it. It has a maintenance area in it. And with basic, simple hand tools, uh, you can check a lot of what needs to be checked. And obviously, if you're not capable of changing the oil in the filter, which sometimes is a little complicated on some motorcycles, or put brake pads on or put a tire on or something, come see any of the service motorcycle service places. Obviously, we do huge amounts of that this time of year. Um, but if you don't have an owner's manual, almost all owner's manuals are obtainable online for free, even from the manufacturers themselves. Fantastic. Good information, Eric. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's about all the time we have for this edition of the Power Sports Podcast. Uh, we hope that you will continue to listen. We hope that you'll give us some feedback as to what types of things that you're interested in. If you're interested in more racing, more tech, if you're into racing, what series do you like? Do you want to hear more about MotoGP and Moto America? Are you a road racing fan? Are you a dirt racing fan? Do you just love it all? Are we hitting the right spots? Let us know. You can find us on social media at Facebook. Look for Power Sports Podcast. We have a page there. You can find us on Twitter at Power Sports Talk. Of course, you can listen to all the shows and find out more information at Oklahoma Talking Co. That's oklahomatalking.co. But get out, enjoy the OKC Mile this weekend, have some fun. I am Jason Baffrey for Eric Colvin. We are out of here. Mm-hmm.